All right, what's up, guys? I'm Nick. I'm here with Ryan and Mark, and we are Bible Dingers. And originally, we were going to have a signs and symbol episode and a revelation outline episode for you. But we were talking amongst each other, and we decided that it would be much more helpful to you to get these uh, keys to revelation symbols, uh, to get the sheet on our website, as well as the outline on our website so that you can go on there, you can print it out, you can laminate it, you can put it on your wall, and uh, you could read the book of Revelation and use these as a tool to help you understand the book. But this episode is going to cover the outline of the book of Revelation, and when necessary, when a hot topic comes up on the outline, we're going to go right to our Revelation symbol sheet and use it to help us understand what that uh, what that symbol is referring to in the outline. But we're not going to go in-depth the way the sheet is on our website. We're not going to go e- uh, one by one through each and every symbol that we see through the entire book. But each and every symbol is available to you on our website at BibleDingers.com on a sheet that's very well thought out of. Well, well thought out of. No. <laughs> on a sheet that Pastor Chris cut that. <laughs> on a sheet that Pastor Chris has created uh, for your benefit to help you understand all the symbols that are laid out to you in the book. So make sure you go on our website and check that out. But for now, we're going to go ahead and dive right into the outline with Pastor Chris. Yeah, and sorry to cut you off, but uh, I just wanted to mention that uh, we are going to be going in somewhat depth in detail uh, in the book of Revelation so that you get an understanding of it. But we couldn't possibly cover um the outline of the book in the depth that we do with a regular book of the bible well this is a regular book of the bible but you know you understand what i'm saying a a less symbolic one that's a little bit more straightforward a lot of times we'll go verse by verse even word by word and give you explanations of what's going on um but we couldn't possibly do do that without an episode that would be like you know 18 hours long um, and so we just want to really give you the highlights here in this one and so you have a, a basic understanding. Yeah, I think that, that um, combining those, those two things, there is this uh, um, chart. And uh, since the dispensationalists are known best for creating charts, I figured we had to match that uh, <laughs> with, with our own chart. Okay, um, So this is not a timeline chart. This is a, uh, a, a keys to Revelation symbols. And this particular um, chart works through chapter by chapter. And and basically how I've laid it out is, um, and I mean, there's every chapter has a ton of different um, you know, symbols that, things that are, are symbolic within it. Uh, and so I, I lay out the symbol um in the, the first line. And then if the Greek word has uh, some kind of importance to that symbol, then I've added the Greek word for those who are the, the scholars and want to look that up. And then, uh, then I've, I talk about the symbolism of, you know, what is the symbol? What's its symbolism? And then I give scriptures to back that up. Um, the, the text that I'm getting it from in that chapter and then other places in Revelation, and this is not exhaustive. This is, you know, but it's it's so that you can see how this plays out in other parts of the scripture uh, as well. And then I, I put a note at the end. In a sense, this is the meaning that I believe that John intended 
for us to understand in terms of that symbol. Okay, so the uh, the, the the chart is is there. It breaks down uh, chapter by chapter um, as you guys would have done it if we were going to do it in full uh, with all of its the, the symbolism and the, the meanings and the scriptures that are related uh, to that. So when they when you go on the Bible dingers and you pull this up, I would suggest having your Bible there so that you can go through. Uh, Passage by passage, verse by verse. I have I have one more clarifying question, just so people understand how to use the chart. And I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I'm I'm just looking over it before we begin here, and I see uh, angels on Gloss listed on as as the third one, and over where it talks about what he means, it says Holy Spirit, Christ, or angel. When you when you're in the meaning column, is that the meaning throughout? revelation for the symbol or just in this specific context in this chapter well it's 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 how john is going to how john uses it and and so the context is determining which of those things it is okay is this going to be a uh, for instance angelos is this a human uh messenger that's being talked about here is it a you know the, the, the spiritual messenger or is it the holy spirit as god's ultimate messenger and it's the context that determines that and it, you know in different places I'll I'll specify that awesome when it comes to a, a particular text I think that this is talking about the Holy Spirit it's not talking about a you know a spiritual being mm-hmm. that we think of when we think of an angel or uh, in the the um, second and third chapter where we have the seven uh, angelos, one for each church, and you know, well, if if those are talking about divine, uh, not divine, spiritual beings, uh, that would mean the angels could still sin, mm. and they could still be cast out um, because he's, you know, I'm going to cut you off. I'm going to, you know, um, you've done this wrong, and so that can't be the Holy Spirit. It really, it, oh, there's arguments one way or the other by commentators, but it, it really can't be a spiritual being because angels now cannot fall. They could when God first created them, but uh, they have been perfected. Um, they've reached their telos, uh, the, 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 the totality of what it means to know God in, in all of his um, fullness. And, and so therefore they are, uh, they you know, they can't sin just like, once we enter into heaven, we will not be tempted to sin anymore. Gotcha. Right. So, gotcha. Uh, so it, it has to be then uh, talking about a human messenger or the elder um, of of that particular church. By the way, we covered that topic in depth, uh, you and I, on our Instagram live uh, video where I ask you uh, if there's no sin in heaven, how do the angels fall? We do have that video available to you on our Instagram if you scroll down our videos. Um, however, let's go ahead and dive right into the outline. All right. So, obviously, the outline begins with chapter one. <laughs> wow. Ooh, surprise. Oh, yes. Now, what's um, the meeting? Of- no, I'm just <clears throat> <laughs> Yes, number one. <laughs> um, I think it is important that, uh, and I'm sure anybody who's listening to Bible Dingers already knows this, but... Uh, we should be ignoring um, verses and chapters uh, when we go through uh, pretty much the Bible 
anyway. Um, all of those are added much, much later. And um, the, not only the verses, uh, but the, the chapters, headings, and, and all of those things, those are the translators who have, have put those headings in. So they might be correct. In many cases, they are correct. Uh, but um, you really should ignore those and, and just look, you know, follow the text as it goes through. All right, so what we want to look at then in, this, in terms of the outline is how does John break this up as we go through? And so we're going to kind of work our way uh, through um, how, at least how I see that. And this outline is on uh, the Bible Dingers um, as well. All right, so we, we begin with verses 1 to 3, and what, that lays the foundation for the whole thing. Right, uh, we don't have the time to go into in depth in that, but there are certain things that we need to recognize, uh, and that is the uh, how John says um, tells us that he has received this information and how he is uh, how he is giving that information to us. All right, so he's received the information he says through a a, a series of of things. God gave the revelation through Jesus Christ, who gave it through his angelos, okay, uh, to John. And a lot of times, and we look at that angelos and we say, well, that angel, that's an angel. So John is going to have an angel that's giving it to him. But as we go through the book, we see that a lot of times there's no angel involved. Uh, other times it's this angel or that angel or another angel. So it doesn't say angeloses or angeloi. It says, uh, you know, through his angel. Uh, I would argue that that angel is the Holy Spirit, that we have the Trinity involved in this uh, presentation. We have the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is a, uh, you know, God's explanation of his whole work of creation uh, to his, his final completion. So that Revelation is, is not going to be about the future per se, Though it will contain things about the future, but the revelation is um, a revelation about how God has worked, is working, and will work uh, in the in the future. The other thing that that we see is that he says that this is it was given to him um, as a simeon, simeon being the uh, the, the symbolism. Um, you know the the. The, uh, the, the word means that which is symbolic or that which is, is symbolized or that which is a sign of something. Uh, and then the, the, the third key word is the word uh, that this is a prophecy. And uh, we've explained this before, but I'll explain it again. Uh, Numbers 12, 6 uh, is God's definition of what a prophecy is. And it is dreams, visions, and riddles. Uh, so, you know, to take... Uh, you know, prophecy literally, uh, as uh, some of the the other views would take it, uh, I think flies in the face of what is the meaning of a of, of prophecy that is given to us as dreams, visions, and and riddles that we have to figure out. And and I think that that Jesus explains this very well when he's talking about the parables. And he says, I give you everything in parables, and a parable is given to us to hide truth, not to reveal truth. And only those who are serious are then going to pursue it, like the disciples. 
uh, okay, so you just talked about, you know, the soil seeds and, and, and all that kind of stuff. The seed being the word of God, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, we were playing a game last night, just in case you yeah. don't know Mark and whoever's <clears throat> listening, and that question came up. What does the seed represent? I said faith. Yeah. Yeah. It was the word of God. It was the word of God. So, um, but, uh, but, uh, you know, the disciples are like, what is this? And then Jesus goes into the explanation of it and he says, to them, I speak in parables. And, and Matthew literally says, and Jesus said nothing to them except in parables. Well, come on. We see Jesus teaching, all of his teachings aren't parables. Oh, well, yes, they are. Because what is the purpose of a parable? A parable is not just a short story uh, with a, a key meaning in it. Uh, it's it's parabolic when you say something, but the people aren't really going to understand it unless they have the Holy Spirit. Mm. And and that's that that's um, the explanation that uh, that John gives us. This is going to be prophecy. So it's prophecy given to us in symbols. From the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, in terms of a revelation of what God has been, is doing, and is going to do in terms of the future. So all of that is is there in verses one to three. Can I ask uh, just a quick question? Um, <clears throat> I know that with how we're tackling Revelation, that um, you know we believe that a lot of it is just a reflection and and a a bringing of the Old Testament into the book. But when, when you're talking about prophecy and I understand how, you know, there it's, it's riddles and things of that nature. But I think a lot of folks think that prophecy is inherently just talking about things that are going to happen in the future. And so when you read in verse three, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy it almost feels natural to think, oh, okay, so everything that comes next is he's going to be talking about stuff that happens in the future. So where is that incorrect in that line of thinking? Well, the line of thinking is incorrect because that's not the biblical line of thinking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now, seriously, though, um, if, you, if, you, you know, if you look at the, the structure, for instance, of the, uh, the Jewish Bible, okay, um, the Jewish Bible does not have the, the divisions that we have. They have, uh, we have the law, we have history, poetry, and then prophecy. Okay, the the Jewish writing only has three. All right, they have the law, they have the prophets, and then they have the Ketim or the writings. All right, the historical books for the Jews are prophecy. Mm. Right. And you're like, how can that be? You know, it's not about the future. Uh, no, it's not about the future. It's about the past. But it's about how God acted and interacted with His people, and that's what the biblical term prophecy means. It's 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 God. How does God speak to and interact with His people? And it doesn't matter whether it's in the past or whether it's the, the, the present or the future. It's it, it's it's about God's um, communication to us, whether in a historical event or whether in, you know, a, a discussion about something that's going to happen in the future. Makes sense. Okay. So 
when uh, so, so that's the the, the outline, and, and then it it moves from that into a theological introduction. So we go from a, a sort of this genre uh, introduction into a, a theological introduction. The theological introduction um, tells us, you know, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and uh, and and Jesus Christ becomes the central focus of that. There, but it's again we have this recapitulation of who is communicating this to us, and it's you know the the seven spirits of God. That doesn't mean that that we have seven holy spirits, but again it's the number seven that is the the number of the perfection of the Holy Spirit in His communication to us. Uh, and, you know, so you know God, um, the the Father, in terms of His purposing. The Holy Spirit, in terms of His, uh, you know, revealing it, and then the center of focus is is Jesus Christ as the the, the Redeemer of uh, of the people to the glory of God, and that's the theological uh, introduction. So John is, is is setting us up to to understand that what he is conveying to us is is not just you know events and activities and things that have happened, but it is the this is God's fullness of the revelation of Himself in the person uh, and through the person of Jesus Christ by the witness of the Holy Spirit, so that that, that we might live it out. Um, and if you guys keep hearing things. I, I use my hands when I'm talking, so I tend to hit uh, the microphones and, and, and Mark will all fix of that. It. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, and, and and then we go from that to this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and so now we have a Christological um, introduction, and in this Christological introduction, we learn about John, where John is, what he's he's located in, and the fact that that John sees himself in the midst of this revelation. You know, he is he, he is with those that are suffering. He is with those that are hearing um, the message. Uh, he belongs to that group. He's not uh, he, he's not just you know sitting there and taking down dictation and and you know writing this down. But this is this is the the fullness of of who he is and, and what he's about. And now he receives this. And and what is it that he receives? He receives this. Um, this revelation of Jesus Christ as Christ. That is the fullness of his divinity and the fullness of, of his humanity combined together in this glorious uh, representation of uh, who God is. All right? And, and, and so he is uh, given in, in this, um, this, this picture of, the Christ in the midst of his church, that is the seven uh, you know, lampstands, which represent the church, and Christ is in the midst of that. He's walking in the midst of that, and he knows what's going on in the midst of, of the church. And when we get to chapters two and three, we'll talk more about, um, about that. But uh, So this is Jesus Christ in the fullness of, of his divinity and humanity. Well, why do we say that? Because he is both the Ancient of Days and he is the Son of Man from, uh, from the book of Daniel. All right, so the, the descriptions are uh, of, of both the one who is seated on the throne and the one who then gives the inheritance to the Son of Man who comes to him. So he is both, hmm. right? Uh, and then we have the introduction of 
um, the this, these angelos uh, who are the represent, representatives of the seven churches, okay, um, the seven lampstands. And uh, again, we'll get to that as we go to chapter two. Um, so this you have to see chapter one as this uh, introduction to these different aspects. All right, what is the genre? All right, how am I supposed to interpret this? Well, I interpret it according to verses one to three. All right, and who's who's giving this message? Well, it's the Trinity. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who are combining uh, in their work to reveal the fullness of who God is, what he is doing uh, through Jesus Christ in the midst of the world, and then uh, who is Jesus Christ. This is, this is about him. This whole book is about him. Uh, so it's not about 666, and it's not about uh, you know, the, the beasts and the, all, all those things. It's about Jesus Christ. So everything in the book has to be interpreted through how does this relate to Jesus Christ? Hmm. All right, and uh, and and then the introduction of of where he's going to go from that. Now, one final comment, and and, and that is uh, the the outline for the book is kind of given to us, and there's a lot of debate as to you know whether this is the outline and, and how the outline works. Um, but he he says to them um, that that he is the one. Uh, that that John is supposed to write about. And he says, um, that, uh, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. All right. Now, uh, again, depending on the commentary, some people say this is the outline. Other people say it's not. I, I would agree with the idea that it's an outline, um, but I would disagree with those who say what that outline represents, right? Mm-hmm. Because what, uh, for instance, within the dispensational um, perspective of this, they would say that this is, um, what, you know, what what he's, he's seen is, um, you know, about the seven church, or uh, uh, this revelation of Jesus in chapter one, um, what is, is this, the seven churches in chapters two and three, and then what is to come is everything from chapter four on. And, I would, in sequence, right? In, in, sequence, in sequence, in, in a sequence, right? Um, so and I would say no. Um, the, I that what he has seen is the Old Testament. Um, you know, in other words, what God has already revealed. What is is what's happening to the churches um, since the resurrection of Jesus Christ in that first century. So in a sense, yes, chapters two and three would be that, but it would also include, uh, things that are farther on. And then what is to come is, uh, the, the ongoing, uh, work of, of God and Satan in, uh, in, in that conflict. And we'll see how that works out as we go through, but think of it more in terms of the, the old Testament or the old covenant, the coming of Christ and the impact of the coming of Christ, and then the, the, the ongoing work of Christ in his church. I think of it that way rather than thinking of it as the necessarily the structure of, uh, of, of the book itself. Is there, without jumping too far ahead here, I know that chapter one is really setting the tone for the entire book and how, how to interpret it and things of that nature. And... Would you say that there is only 
one way to interpret it from beginning to end because from what I've understood in the past is that, and kind of like how you were explaining dispensationalists, how I've understood it is that the letters to the churches are more like almost epistle style where he is just writing to these churches and then from then on, then we start interpreting it a different way with more signs and symbolism. But would you say that uh, the letters to the churches also contain these these riddles and signs and symbols and things of that nature? And it should be interpreted like the rest of the book? Oh, absolutely. No, no question about it. Um, I, I think the whole book is, in a sense, a letter. Uh, you know, we can talk about the, this, the, the, but that would be a whole another discussion of all the different ways that people look at, um, you know, how the book is structured and, and, uh, you know, is it, is it a a letter or is it a prophecy or is it an apocalypse or, you know, uh, all those things. When, when people say that to me, I say, yeah, (laughs) 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 yeah, it's, it's pretty much, all of those, uh, you know, let's let, let's not draw those uh, those distinctions because we do have um, the introduction, which would be similar to a uh, an epistle. Um, you know, the introduction of of who you know who the people are that's you know that's writing or who are giving this message, uh, who the recipients are. And uh, you know the greetings in a sense. Um, so you know that's there at the beginning, but we also have a conclusion that's uh, that's a epistolary conclusion as well. So uh, yeah, there's uh, there's that thing. But everything in the book is given to us in this Sameon, and that would then include uh, the the letters. Um, so okay. Let's 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 just think of it less in terms of uh, you know let's let's distinguish each of these sections uh, and think of it more in terms of John is giving us seven 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 sevens all the way through the book and all of them are to be interpreted in that same way that he told us in verses one to three. Okay, makes sense. All right, so we we then have um, this introduction of these specific messages to the seven churches, and uh, there's again there's a variety of ways that people interpret those, um, but I think the uh, both the classical way of interpreting it and the the common way today, whether you're dispensationalist or uh, post mill or, or you know um, ah mill or whatever is that these are specific letters given to specific churches. But even though they're given to specific churches, as the, the end of each of those letters states, uh, this, you know, look, that all the churches are to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say to this particular church. Now, my somewhat unique uh, approach to these is that these are not just uh, seven issues that the churches face, but these are progressive, um, not historically progressive, but progressive in terms of intensity of the problems. So that the Church of Ephesus uh, is is given to us as a a, a church that is complacent, um, and they uh, they you know they're fine and everything 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 they're doing is is wonderful. 
okay? They're doing really great, but they've lost their first love. And that first love is, is not um, that they've lost their passion for Jesus or those things, because all the rest of the things they're passionate about. They're passionate about Christ. They're passionate about his word. They're passionate about everything. What they've lost is their passion to impact a society. You know, the, the, the first love, we go back to uh, Acts 19, where, you know, they're so into Jesus Christ, they're bringing their books to burn their, the, the, their, uh, their, their idle books and, and witchcraft books and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and they're just out there in the community and they are impacting the community. Uh, turning the world upside down. Well, now they've been around for uh, you know sixty years. They've become part of the community. Not that they are are com- compromising with the community, but they're just part of it, um, and they're just going on. And that's that's the typical church, isn't it? Even solid evangelical churches, for the most part, we're not really impacting our our communities uh, in any way that they would say they're turning the world upside down. Mm. Okay, so that's the Church of Ephesus, and uh, then we have the Church of Smyrna, and it's it, it's a solid church, um, but it's it's struggling, and who's it struggling with? It's the synagogue of Satan, uh, the, you know. So the, the use of the words uh, synagogue, the the uh, the synagogue, um, tells us that it's uh, their struggles is against um, Judaism, uh, Judaism, in one sense, but it's not just Judaism. Um, and this goes into the history of it, and we don't have a lot of time to, to cover that. But the, uh, the, the bottom line in that is Christianity after 70 AD is no longer considered part of Judaism. And uh, so you could be a Jew and kind of hiding under the Judaism you know, uh, thing, and now the Jews are excommunicating. The, the Christians mm. and they're, they're, they're kicking them out uh, so that they can't hide underneath the umbrella of, of uh, because Ju- the Judaism until um, one, the 130s, Judaism is still a legal religion uh, within the, the Roman culture. So uh, that's what's, what's going on there. And then the, the next church was the Church of Pergamum. The Church of Pergamum is compromising church. Um, they, uh, you know, they're, they're not taking strong stances against false teaching, the Nicolaitans, uh, in, uh, you know, so they're, they're not taking the strong stance against them. So they've, they've begun to compromise and, and that doesn't mean that they have them in the church, but they're kind of listening to the voices of, uh, what we would call today the liberal church or, um, you know, the name it, claim it type of thing where they're saying, you know what, as long as you were spiritual, as long as you love Jesus, you can still go uh, to the the guilds and get in, involved with the guilds, uh, you know, just as long as in your heart you don't you don't believe it. Could you right. could you explain that real quick? What what the guilds are for those who are okay. So the guilds are the unions of, okay. of in a sense today. Uh, so if if you were if you whatever you were, you were working at, if you were a business owner, um, in order for you to sell your product, you had to be part of these guilds. And the guilds, their their place of meeting, were in the temples of the gods whatever the God was for that particular guild. And so in order for you to be part of, of the guild, you had to go into that temple, you had to you know, offer up the incense uh, on your way in 
to uh, the guild meetings. And uh, so they were like, wait, you know, you really don't believe that stuff. You know, well, you know, they're just, uh, you know, idols. So it doesn't matter that you go in there and, and, and do that. Okay, so that's what compromise is in, in in the church when we say, well, you know, this this is how I got to get along in the business world. This is how I got to get along in the educational thing. I, I don't really believe it, yeah. But the problem is they don't know you don't believe it, mm-hmm. and so you, you've begun to compromise. And then Thyatira is is complete capitulation. Not only is it on the outside that you're doing this, but you you're allowing them, you know, this false teacher Jezebel. They come into the church, and and you're not doing anything with church discipline. Mm. Okay, so I, you know, I'm going to punish her. Christ says, but you guys, you're, you're going to be tossed in with her into what? The great tribulation. Right. So uh, it, the idea that the great tribulation is something off in the future, uh, you know, John says no. The great tribulation is is now, and and. You know, you guys, you're going to suffer in that because you've rebelled uh, and, and you've capitulated. And then you go from capitulation to corruption. And that's what we have in uh, the Church of Sardis, where the people are, you know, they are, they're dead. This isn't the same, uh, you know, lack of the first love of Ephesus. This isn't just another way of saying that. This is basically saying you're a dead church. Uh, you know, if if you don't if you don't wake up, then um, you know you're not in me. You're not in in Christ, and and that's followed then by the Church of Philadelphia, which is the good church. And and this is a whole chiastic structure for those of you who know what chiasms are. Um, the first church and the last church uh, kind of mirror each other, and then you know the the second and the uh, sixth, uh, you know, working in. And so Thyatira, which is the center, Thyatira is the longest of, of all of them and kind of spells everything out for us. Mm. So anyway, so you have Philadelphia that, that mirrors um, Smyrna and it, it also has the same problem with the synagogue of, of Satan. Uh, and then you go from that to uh, Laodicea. And Laodicea is not only uh, corruption, but it is, uh, you know, being cast out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to vomit you out. And there's a, there's a lot of, in each of those, there are historical aspects of, uh, of those particular cities. All right? So the things that are mentioned have to do with the, the you know, aspects of the culture of the, of the cities. Which again, you can get those um, through the, the the more the symbols um, sheets. I'm not going to go into each of those, uh, but they, you know, when you're talking about the lukewarmness, for instance, the lukewarmness is not, you know, oh, you know, well, it's just kind of lukewarm. Um, but it's and and I'd rather have you hot or cold. Jesus isn't saying I'd rather either have you passionate for me or not with me at all. Not that that's 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 not what's talking about here. What you have is you have two sources of, of water coming into Laodicea. One comes from the hot springs of Hierapolis. The other comes from the Lycanus River. Uh, Lycanus River is coming out of the mountains. It's extremely cold and refreshing. Uh, and then the, um, the hot springs, you know, that's for healing. 
right? But both of those are sourced. And by the time the water comes uh, through the aqueducts to the actual city, the, the, the cold water has become lukewarm water. And the, the hot water for the baths and stuff have, you know, it's picked up all the minerals and all the, the things. And so if you try to refresh yourself um, with, the, the, you know, take a drink from the, the cold water from the mountains, it's, it's lukewarm and, you know, it like, oh, man, you know, this is not refreshing at all. You know, and if you're going to do that from the baths, you know, like uh, the healing substance here, and, and you put that into your mouth, you got all these minerals that have been picked up from the hot water, uh, you know, coming down, but it's also by that time just lukewarm. Blech. You know, it makes you actually puke. So it, it has to do not with, you know, are you hot for Christ or are you cold for Christ? But have you have you gotten to the place where you're not bringing healing to the world, you're not bringing refreshment to the world, you're just nothing. Mm. And I'm, I'm just going to spit you out. You're worthless mm. uh, to me. So, you know, those are the images, and, and, and that's true of um, you know how he describes each of those churches, uh, all of those are actual historical things. But then he, those historical things become representatives of, you know, ask of me for uh, of salve for your eyes. Well, the Laodiceans had a, a you know a hospital uh, kind of thing um, where they sold salve for uh, the healing of eyes. Um, Jesus isn't saying ask of me you know for a better you know, healing of your your physical eyes. He's talking about the spiritual eyes. So those mm. physical things become symbolic of uh, of the spiritual that can transform lives and, and, and change lives. And so that as you're working through these these churches, you you see what is, you know. You have to ask yourself what is the historical aspect that Jesus is dealing with for this particular city, and then um, you know what is he saying needs to be changed in us so that we don't, you know, we aren't complacent. We aren't compromising. We're not capitulating. We haven't grown into corruption and therefore being cast out. Hmm. Okay. Um, and that's, uh, that's chapters two and three. So those are fully symbolic in that sense of, you know, the, the, the typology uh, for us in terms of our growth. So it's not just a letter. It is a letter that is typological and needs to be interpreted. So it is, like you mentioned, it is it is a little bit of, it is multiple things. It is an epistle. Is these are actual churches that were actually having these problems, but at the same time, the symbolism of the way that a church can go is is applied to us in our day. Yes. Yeah. So it, you know, there are those who tried to apply these to historical eras. Mm -hmm. uh, of the church, but the problem with that is we've gone, you know, far beyond those, and and so you know, which era are we in now? Um, at, 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 you know, it's, is Christ coming back now, or is he coming back, you know, to a thousand years from now? And then we have to rewrite those. Uh, so that's kind of been debunked um, mm -hmm. a while ago. But yes, these are um, historical churches historical issues with those cities in which the church uh, was, but Christ has taken those historical situations of those cities and has applied them to 
the life of the church and then how the church is supposed to respond. All right, so that brings us uh, here to chapter four. And and, um, this is, uh, when you're looking at the book of Revelation, you need to see it in sections, Um, you know, and these sections are sections generally of of sevens, seven somethings. Um, So it's not always spelled out that it's seven. There's there's a number of times that it is, but uh, in, in in many cases uh, as well, we have seven events or seven uh, you know symbols that are given to us, and it doesn't say I'm now to introduce you to the seven symbols of of this or the seven events of that. Uh, but uh, but John breaks them into those uh, those kind of uh, formats. Uh, for us. <clears throat> and so we come to this uh, chapter four, and chapter four really is uh, four and five have to be seen together. You can't, you can't separate them off. They are a part and parcel of, of uh, in a sense, one concept. And that concept is what is God's purpose for creation? And, and then how does God interact with that creation, both in terms of creation and redemption of that creation. And that's, that, that's chapter four and, and chapter five. And so um, when John is, is taken you know, up, um, this is not the church being raptured as the old dispensation. The new dispensationalists don't necessarily see it that way, but the, the old dispensations would say, this is John, being, John representing the church being raptured out. And from this point on, we don't see the word church um, you know, uh, uh, appearing. So therefore the church is gone. Uh, well, I, I would disagree both with the fact that we don't see the church um, here. We don't see the word, but I think we do see the, the church um, uh, throughout this. But the, the, the other side is um, you don't see the word uh, synagogue either. Does, does that mean that there's no synagogues? Uh, left or, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that we don't see uh, in this and that, that um, are, are not spelled out for us that way. So what we have here is seven scenes uh, that are, are described for us. We begin with the creator's throne room. And it's, it's, this is creation. This is about creation. The four living creatures that are around the throne, these four living creatures represent four aspects of uh, you know, living beings, and so we have the you know the lion, we have the the, the ox, the eagle, and the human. All right, uh, so domesticated animals, wild animals, uh, the, the birds, which also represent fish. I mean, you know, the, the whole thing, other than the fact that, well, I don't want to get too far off, but you know, the ocean or the seas. Uh, are seen as bad, uh, so you know, yeah. you, don't, you don't get the mention here of. I remember the first time I heard your your talk. I wasn't even thinking of it because I've been hearing this explanation since I'm a kid. So I just had it. My wife turns to me and she goes, "Where are the fish?" <laughs> and then I went right to him. I said, "Okay, so if this is four aspects of creation, and it it it's it's uh, symbolic to all of creation, pointing to God and glorifying Him." Where are the fish? And he told me that the seas and the oceans in the entire book of Revelation is uh, symbolic to chaos, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Is there also a connection there with, this might be left field, with how they were created on the same creation day, birds and fish? Yes. Yeah, yes, there is. And that's and, and so you do have 
uh, that, that's astute observation. Um, yes, so this is this is representation of, in that sense, you know how they were created. Though domestic animals and and the wild animals, same you day. know, were also created on the same day, right. um, and they're divided off. But they're divided off specifically, in a sense, for clean and unclean. Gotcha. Um, you know, so it's there's there's a lot that's involved in. Um, you know why these uh, these are described the way they are. Plus, they go back to Old Testament pictures, mm. uh, you know, prophetic pictures as well. Um, but uh, but that's what they represent. Um, so you're not going to get to heaven. You're not going to see a four headed beast um, that you have in Ezekiel, <laughs> oh, and you're not going to see four different beasts. It's kind of scary, uh, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, in Ezekiel, these four are all on one, you know, and, mm-hmm. and in John, they're four separates. Um, so yeah, again, John has this, this, uh, uncanny knack to take old Testament pictures and typology and reorient the way that we think about them. And that helps us to realize that when we're talking about those things in the old Testament, we're also talking about symbolism. Yeah. I think it's really, it's honestly beautiful to, to read and, and it really made the book of revelation come so much more alive to me instead of it just being like random stuff in heaven that you, is kind of weird and you don't really understand <laughs> just the connection to the the prophets in the old testament and bringing it in and bringing the meaning in i think makes revelation so much more to me of of uh, a more beautiful read and it makes it so much more understanding too yeah, or yeah. understandable and if you sorry. think about it logically speaking i mean as cool as it would be to have a friendly creature with eyes all over it and wings and and a, a face how could it have a face if it has eyes all over it but that's besides the point you know it's just logically speaking it doesn't make sense you have to think there has to be a greater meaning here mm-hmm. you know i i, I want to see those creatures but <laughs> it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. you know yeah, um, and, and I know I've I've had enough discussions with people that say, "But God can do whatever He wants." He wants, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah it, it, that is true. God can do whatever He wants, um, but God is a God of of order. Mm-hmm. He's not a God of chaos, and uh, and so when He does something, it's it, it has a purpose. So even if there were these four living creatures, the question becomes, what is their purpose? What is and that purpose then is symbolic so you know when so even even if we do which i don't think we do but even if we do take it literally and say these are real creatures what we're saying is this is these are this their purpose is for this yes to bring god glory ultimately yes and so that's isn't that what the purpose of creation is that all living creatures would uh, would showcase the glory of God, and these four living creatures are around the throne. You know, they're not just before the throne, but they're around the throne. Um, you know, symbolizing this this uh, the the full orbedness of God, um, which also, in that sense, we'd have to say, then doesn't the throne have four faces? You know. God is facing each each direction, uh, which gets us to the place where we say, does God actually sit on a throne? Mm-hmm. Got it. And the answer is no, no, God doesn't sit on a throne. And so all the way through the book, when we're talking about thrones, thrones have nothing to do with where somebody actually sits or stands or, or whatever, because in chapter 5, Jesus is standing in the midst of the throne. 
Um, you know, well, is that the same throne that the father is on? So he's standing in his lap. You know, <laughs> how, how, how does this work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the purpose of, of the concept of the throne is, is the, the power, the authority, um, the ruler uh, of whatever it is. In this case, it's, it's the creation. And so we have this rainbow that surrounds the throne, but it's only got one color. It, it's emerald. It's 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 hmm. you know what what is emerald? Emerald is green. What is green? Green is life, All right? So God created life, and He is He's overseeing you know this 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 uh, this beauty of uh, of life, and then you have uh, the you know this this platform that that this is all sitting on that is clear as crystal. Which means that that God is able to see everything underneath Him, right? That it's, it's another way of saying that God is omniscient. You know, all those eyes that are on these the, these creatures, uh, you know, God is seeing all. He's seeing all of His creation. There's nothing outside of what He sees. There's nothing that blocks His vision. Of what's going on in creation, and that's that's critical to the whole book of Revelation, that that God is all seeing, God is all knowing, uh, and, and therefore all things are working for His purpose uh, there. And, and so, as we as you go through this uh, these pictures, um, you know each of those representing these aspects. If you don't do what the four living creatures do and, and fall down before him and cry, holy, 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 that you've missed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it should, you, you know, once you grasp what is happening in this situation, I mean, it should just well up within you. You should bring tears to your eyes, um, you, you know, and you just fall down before him and, and, and worship, which is what we're created for, right? To give God glory, uh, and to enjoy him forever. Um, so, uh, so you have that, and then you have the 24 elders. And uh, again, if we're going to take these things literally, I, I really pity these 24 elders because they have a crown, they throw the crown, they, they, then they cry out you know, God's worthiness, and then they have to run, and they have to pick up their crown and go back, and they have to do this again. <laughs> and then they have to do it again and again and, and again. Yeah. You know, for all of eternity, you know, throw my crown, go back and get it, come back. You know, come back. Uh, you know, so I was like, no, this is not a, a literal. Uh, what is the crown? The, the, the crown is, the, the, you know, when in the, the churches, it's, it talks about overcoming and the things that we receive when we overcome. And we receive the, uh, the you know, as overcomers, we receive the crown that, that Paul says, the crown of righteousness that, uh, that we receive um, because, you know, we've finished the course, right? We've overcome. And, uh, and so it's a picture then of, uh, yes, we've done things, but those things are God's. We haven't done them. God has done them in us. You know, we work out your, your salvation with fear and, and trembling because it's God who is work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so what the symbolism is, is to, you know, anything that we have accomplished, the glory goes to God. It doesn't go to us. It goes to God. 
And we're, we're constantly giving to God the glory for everything that he's accomplished. And then you have the 24, uh, which we talked about before, the 24 elders representing the creation uh, or the, the old covenant and the new covenant believers. And again, you're not going to have 24 thrones sitting around the throne, you know, God's one throne. Um, and, you know, the four living creatures, you know, in the midst of that. And, and you know, what? You're going to have the 12 sons of, of uh, Jacob? Are they, are they the ones that are going to be sitting on those thrones? Uh, Reuben, who slept with his father's, uh, you know, concubine. Um, Levi and Simeon, who killed off a whole community of of, uh, you know, townspeople, unsuspecting townspeople, uh, you know, Judah, who sold off his brother, Joseph, you know, because he was jealous. Uh, you know, are, those, are, are they the representations? Are they, they're they're going to be there in heaven, or is it going to be the 12 tribes um, that are there, you know, and which of the 12 tribes? And we'll get to that later on in <laughs> chapter six. Uh, and, and, you know, so it's, it's, it's again, it's representational, of uh, the Old Testament saints, and then representational of the uh, New Covenant saints, uh, you know, u- united together to bring glory and praise uh, to God in creation. You know, God is creator, and that's what uh, that focuses on. And then that moves immediately into chapter five. Again, get rid of these uh, uh, chapter divisions. I just want to stop you right there just just so I can process this myself. And if I'm having trouble processing, the listener's probably having trouble processing. So we have 24 thrones, 24 elders. Um, So what you're saying for the 24 thrones is that it's, the fullness, because it's 12 plus 12, so it's a fullness of God's throne, of God's reign. It's a, isn't it? It's the 12 tribes and the 12 disciples, so isn't it? No, the, that's the 24 elders. The 24 elders is the 12 tribes plus the 12 apostles. Uh-huh. So the 24 thrones is 12 plus 12. What are those two 12 well, represent? Yes, they're the ones on which these representations, representatives sit, right? They so have... You know, twenty-four thrones, so that's twelve representing the old covenant, twelve representing the new covenant. But again, thrones are not thrones. Thrones are symbolic. What are they symbolic of? They're symbolic of ruling. Okay, um, of of those that are 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 ruling, and how are they ruling? Because they've overcome. Right, they've overcome um, the the enemy. They've attained their crowns, but is it just twelve people that have attained those crowns on uh, on each side? No, they are representations. So the thrones represent the authority that Jesus says back in to the to the um, seven churches. You know, you will sit with me on uh, on my throne. Okay, so so uh, I want to I want to just bring a point of clarification. I, I I know we don't believe in little god theology, that we become little gods. So what exactly does that look like if the Christian is going to be reigning with Christ? 
Well, let's not jump to chapter 22 fast here. Uh, <laughs> um, well, we can't cover everything, especially no, but, in chapter but 22. It, it, again, it, it is what the Apostle Paul says when he says, I've finished the course, I've fought the fight, I've finished the course, and now is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. This is the, the, the laurel leaf, uh, you know, of Olympics. the, the uh, yeah, the Olympics, you know, um, and and so I've, I've completed the, uh, the the course and have attained it. But how did I attain it? And that's why you're throwing the crowns before. I did not do it. God did it in me and through me in Jesus Christ. And so how are we reigning with Christ? Well, we're reigning with Christ now. Why? Because by faith we're believing that He is the uh, that He's the Christ. That he is the God-Man who has, uh, you know, fulfilled all that's necessary in order for us to attain unto what we are supposed to be. And what is that? Image bearers of God. Right? We are all Adams. We are all created in the image of God to 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 bear His image, so that He is then glorified through what we say, what we do, how we live. All right, and and. You know, everybody else failed. Jesus Christ did that in the fullness of everything. And now he is glorified. And because by faith we've trusted him, just like by faith we died with him on the cross, by faith we are raised with him to newness of life. And therefore we are reigning with him, not because we've accomplished anything, but because we are in him. We're in the, we're on the winning team. We're, exactly. We're, we're living like a king, but we're not one. Right. But we will be. Yeah. Uh, kingdom of, of, of priests, um, as chapter one says. Got it. All right. So moving into chapter five, we see the scroll and, and the line of Judah. Yes. What's that stuff look like? Okay. So um, obviously, this is what creation is supposed to be in chapter four. All living creatures glorifying God, all... Uh, you know, all of humanity under the old covenant and new covenant, glorifying God and exalting Him, and uh, every one of us sits there and go, "But that's not the way it is." Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a whole lot of people that aren't glorifying God and, and and living for Him, which brings us then to what is God the Creator? What has He done? in order that his creation fulfill its purpose. And that's chapter 5. The way that he has done that is through Jesus Christ. And again, what's the center of this book? It is all about Jesus Christ. Um, so the uh, so you have, you know, there's one that's seated on the throne. Again, is God seated on a throne? Does God have hands? Is he holding a literal physical scroll? In his hands, and and you know, if you say yes to that, then you believe like the Romans that you've got Zeus. You know, he's limited in space. He's limited in 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 a sense in time and and all that. But we know that God is pure spirit, and pure spirit is not pure ghost. Pure spirit is he's he's totally unlimited in absolutely everything. Um, He is he's the fullness of, of of just, you know, so if we think of, uh, if we think of ourselves, we're, we're three, three-dimensional, some would say we're five-dimensional, depending on 
you know how you interpret that, but let's just stick with the three dimensions. It's easier for us to understand. Uh, we're a three-dimensional creature, right? Um, so everything about us is three-dimensional. The table that's sitting before us, these microphones, the wall. It's all three-dimensional. Now, let's suppose that we're the disciples cowering in the midst of the upper room, um, you know, knowing that somebody's going to beat on the door and, and they're going to haul us out and they're going to crucify us uh, there. And all of a sudden, Jesus is, you know, he's there, right? And, and we look at that and we go, wow, that's really cool, you know. Uh, you know, but, but, but how does he do that? Yeah. Um, and, and the answer is, is not that Jesus is a ghost, but that we're the ghosts and the walls are a ghost. Uh, Jesus is, you know, 10,000 dimensions and uh, a three-dimensional thing. I mean, just, it, it, anybody that knows anything about science knows there's a lot of space in an atom, mm-hmm. right? Like a lot of space uh, between the electrons and the, the protons and neutrons and all that, right? So everything is really made up of space, but because we're all made the same way, you know, I put my hand in the stable, it stays, right? But if I was a thousand dimensions, I put my hand in the stable and the table wouldn't be there. You know, it's just, it'd be nothing. Well, that's, that's what we will be when we're resurrected, like Jesus in, in that way. Um, you know, walls are nothing, Space is nothing. It's just, you know. But God has not even those limitations. God has no limit to the dimensions, right? So what throne is he going to sit on? Hmm. Right. So, you know, God doesn't have the hands. Um, you know, he's not going to hold a scroll in those hands. Uh, and you know, anything other than that limits who God is, limits the fullness of who he is. So anyway, this is, again, representational. The one who is the creator of all things has a purpose. And what is that purpose? Well, that's what the scroll contains. That's the purpose of God. That's the eternal purposes of God. And how are those purposes going to be carried out? Well, they're not going to be carried out by Adam. He failed. Not going to be carried out by Moses. He failed. Not going to be carried out by David. He failed. You know, every human being has failed. Uh, so, uh, you know, you go through all of humanity and John is weeping because there's nobody worthy. Mm. Nobody, can, nobody can carry out God's purposes. So you all fail. Uh, and then all of a sudden he hears, you know, there's a lion of the tribe of Judah, uh, which again takes us back to the Old Testament and, and, and that the descriptions there. Lion of the tribe of Judah, he turns and he sees a lamb as though it had been slain. Right? So Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the one that's going to rule. He's got the, the, the rod of, uh, of iron. Uh, you know, Psalm... Um, two. Yeah, Psalm 2. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Psalm 2. All right? So he's, he's, he's got that, uh, that, that, that ruling that has been given to him. When was it given to him? It was given to him at the cross and the resurrection. So he's, he's, the, he's the lion of Judah, but he's also the lamb that's slain. And this, this also presents, by the way, another sign symbol thing in the book of Revelation because what he sees or what he hears and then what he sees are two different things, but they're the same. And throughout the book, we'll see that, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, that what he hears is one thing, and he turns and he sees, and it's something totally different. Interesting. But they're actually the same. 
I never put that together before. Yeah. Okay. So we have um, him hearing and seeing, and this lion that's been, uh, this lion is a lamb that's been slain. And, and where, is, where is it located? Well, it depends on your translation, because <clears throat> the translations have a problem with it, because the, the, the Greek text says he's in the midst of the throne. So they're like, uh, well, you know, can't be in the midst of the throne because he was in the midst of the throne. He, like I said, he'd be standing on the father's, you know, uh, lap. Um, so he's, he's not in the midst of the throne. He's in front of the throne. Or he's near the throne or he's beside the throne or, or, you know, something like that. No, he's in the midst of the throne. Why? Because he is both God and man. Um, and he is the fulfillment uh, of that, which we saw back in chapter one. So he is both the ancient of days and he is the son of man combined in, in one. And, you know, and, and so what is the response then of um, you know, the host of angels, the innumerable host of angels, uh, the four living creatures, and again, all other living creatures, what is, what is the response of, of everything is you are worthy. Chapter four, you are worthy, God. Now you are worthy to receive uh, you know, this inheritance um, of, uh, of this creation. Right, and that's that's what that represents. It, the, the the scroll represents the last will and testament in a sense. You know, of course, God doesn't die. Um, well, let's not get into um, the uh, the fifth century discussion of whether uh, you know God died in Christ or not. But anyway, let's avoid that. But but God doesn't uh, you know God doesn't have to die in order for Jesus to receive the. Uh, um, the, the inheritance, um, rather like the book of Hebrews says, uh, this is a covenant. All right, so it, it's it, it it's not death in terms of uh, you know I have to die before you can get my will. This is this is a covenantal thing, and so Christ in His death receives uh, that which is the fullness of the covenant. Um, so anyway, the so you have this. Um, this worthiness and the worthiness is because of the fact that he has redeemed for himself all of these people. So that tells us what the scroll contains. The scroll contains not the judgments that are to come, but who is the heir? Who is the heir of all that God has purposed? And we'll see that in, in chapter six. Who, who is this heir? And, and Jesus Christ is the heir. Right, he's, he's the one that's so. It was written. It was written on both sides. Mm-hmm. Is is one side the old and the other side the new <laughs> uh, uh, covenant? It, it, it'd be nice if it was that easy, <laughs> um, you know. Um, but uh, again, this, this this is going back into the Old Testament, all right? And and the the descriptions that are in the Old Testament. So all the judgments of the world, um, you know, wickedness, right? Uh, in the in, in the prophets, uh, is is a scroll that's written on both sides. All right, so he has taken the wickedness of the whole world. He has taken it on himself and paid the penalty for it, so that he can inherit the uh, the, the, the the glory of um, of God's purpose in creation. Uh, but there's also the the fact that it's seven seals. And that also tells us that it's the last will and testament because the uh, in the Roman world, the a, a will 
when it was written, was written with witnesses. And those witnesses are who put the seals on, right? So, you know, if, if, if I'm wealthy, uh, the wealthier I am or the more powerful I am, the higher the number of seals that are on there with seven being, you know, the, like, that's what an emperor would have, mm. uh, you know. The, the, the most powerful people or the richest people would have seven witnesses. And so they, they put their seal on that document. And so on the outside of the document is written, you know, sort of the names of, you know, who these witnesses were. Okay. And then the inside contained what the, the inheritance and, the, and how that was to be carried out. And when the will was to be read, a, represent, a representative of that seal had to be present, either the person who had sealed it or their representative if they had passed away. And so uh, when, before that seal could be opened, that, that person had said, yes, that's our seal. You know, that's, that's, that's my seal. And so it, it, as each seal is opened, each person becomes a witness to this, this, and then you know who's going to be the inheritor, right? So you have those seven seals. So you have seven witnesses there, and that's that's what's going on in chapter six and the beginning of chapter eight. Can I ask a, another clarifying uh, signs and symbols question? There's seven horns on the lamb. It says, and then there's also later on in Revelation. I know the the, the different bees have horns, mm-hmm. and I've. I believe there's a horn that has horns, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, on yes. one of the bees. Yeah, that's the eight. So, yeah. 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 so there's a lot of there's a lot of creatures with horns, and then there's also times where you see multiple eyes, multiple heads uh, on these creatures. Can you are the, is there a correlation between what the horns are and the eyes are and and the heads are throughout all of Revelation? It, yes, um, and again, this goes from the Old Testament, you know, on into the New Testament. So the, the horns represent authority or power. Okay. okay? Um, so, uh, for instance, in Daniel, you have, uh, you know, a, a single horned animal, and then you have, you know, one with two heads and, and you know, the horns, and, and you have these multiples. Uh, and each of those represent then, uh, for instance, uh, you know, Babylon, single horn. Um, the Medes and Persians, two horns, one representing the Medes, one representing the Persians. Uh, the Greeks, four horns, representing the, the, the four uh, generals that split up the Greek kingdom after Alexander died. And, and so you have, you know, four, um, in a sense, nations uh, there or four divisions. So, yes, and they represent the, the, the power or the authority um, of whatever it is that's being represented. When it comes to eyes, uh, especially uh, whether it's seven eyes or whether it's eyes all over, uh, all of that is pretty much the same thing. It's, it's omnipotent, you know, op- yeah. Omniscience. Omniscience. It's, it's the ability to see all things and know all things um, there. Okay. So. So, Pastor Chris, I don't want to cut you off, but we're around the one hour and a half mark, 
And I want the listeners to be able to digest what they just heard. So we ended off at chapter five, where we're just about to open the seals. And uh, we're going to get into chapter six in the next episode. So you can hear this episode two, three, four times while you're reading chapters one through five, while you're printing out these uh, sheets that we have or these charts that we have on our website. Again, that's BibleDingers.com. And you can just wrestle with the text and, uh, and have fun with it. And then next week, we will come out with Revelation 6 uh, symbols and signs and general outline. Uh, So we do hope you enjoyed it. We do hope that you're following along. Most importantly, we hope you have your Bibles open. Don't rely on us to tell you what the Bible says. We want you to read it yourself. But if you've been enjoying Bible Dingers thus far, we want you to give us a follow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at Bible Dingers across the board. And while you're there, make sure you hit follow, subscribe, and hit that like button. And most importantly... Ding on.